Section 74 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 11. A Word to the Wise is Sufficient. It seemed to him that he heard a feeble and indistinct sound somewhere in the immense distance. The depths, at certain hours, give forth a murmuring roar. He listened a second time. The distant noise began anew. Gilead shook his head like someone who knows what he is about. A few minutes later he was at the other extremity of the lane of the reef at the eastern entrance, open hitherto, and with mighty blows of the hammer he was driving huge spikes into the granite of the two sides of that entrance, close to the man-rock, as he had done in the case of the entrance to the Douvre. The crevices of these rocks were all prepared and well furnished with wood, almost all of which was heart of oak. The reef was much shattered on this side. There were a great many cracks, and Gilead could fix even more spikes here than at the base of the two Douvres. At a sudden moment, and as though it had been blown out, the phosphorescence was extinguished. The morning twilight, growing more luminous every instant, replaced it. After driving in the spikes, Gilead dragged beams, then ropes, then chains, and, without taking his eyes from his work, without allowing his attention to be distracted for a moment, he began to construct across the man entrance, with beams fixed horizontally and bound together by cables, one of those open-work barriers which science has now adopted, and which styles breakwaters. Those who have seen, for instance, at La Roquenne in Guernsey, or at Bourdeaux in France, the effect produced by a few piles fixed in the rock, understand the power of these very simple appliances. The breakwater is a combination of what is called in France epi, with what is called in England dike. Breakwaters are the chevaux de frise of fortifications against tempests. One can contend with the sea only by taking advantage of the divisibility of this force. Meanwhile, the sun had risen, perfectly unobscured. The sky was clear, the sea was calm. Gilead hastened his work. He also was calm, but there was anxiety in his haste. He went, with long strides, from rock to rock, from the barrier to his storehouse, and from his storehouse to the barrier. He returned, dragging in frantic haste, now a rider, now a binding strake, the utility of this provision of timber made itself manifest. It was evident that Gilead was face to face with an emergency which he had foreseen. A strong iron bar served him as a lever wherewith to move the beams. The work was executed so rapidly that it was a growth rather than a construction. One who has never seen a military pontooner at work can form no idea of this rapidity. The eastern entrance was still narrower than the western one. The gap was only five or six feet wide. The smallness of this opening helped Gilead. The place to be fortified and closed being very restricted, the barrier would be more solid and might be more simple. Hence horizontal beams sufficed. Upright pieces were useless. The first cross beams of the breakwater being laid, Gilead mounted on them and listened. The roaring was becoming significant. Gilead proceeded with his construction. 
He buttressed it with the two catheads of the Durande fastened to the framework of the beams by halyards passed through their three pulley sheaves. He made fast the whole with chains. This construction was nothing else than a sort of colossal hurdle with beams for rods and chains for wattles. It seemed woven as much as built. Gilead multiplied the fastenings and added spikes where needed. Having had a great deal of round iron from the wreck, he had been able to lay in a great stock of spikes. As he worked, he crunched biscuit between his teeth. He was thirsty, but he could not drink, having no more fresh water. He had emptied his can at supper on the preceding evening. He piled up four or five more timbers, then mounted the barrier again and listened. The noise on the horizon had ceased. All was still. The sea was smooth and superb. It deserved all the madrigals which worthy citizens address to it when they are satisfied with it. A mirror, a pond, like oil, playful, a sheep. The deep blue of the sky responded to the deep green of the ocean. That sapphire and that emerald could admire each other. They had no occasion to reproach themselves not a cloud on high, not a fleck of foam below. Through all this splendor the April sun was rising magnificently. It was impossible to see finer weather. On the extreme horizon a long black file of birds of passage streaked the heavens. They were flying rapidly. They were directing their course towards the land. It seemed as though they were fleeing as well as flying. Gilead betook himself again to raising the height of the breakwater. He raised it as high as he could, as high as the curve of the rocks permitted. Towards midday the sun seemed to him hotter than it should be. Noon is the critical hour of the day. Gilead, standing erect on the strong hurdle which he had just finished, stopped once more to survey the expanse. The sea was more than tranquil. It was stagnant. Not a sail was to be seen. The sky was everywhere clear. Only, from blue, it had become white. This white was singular. In the west, on the horizon, there was a small spot of sickly hue. This spot remained motionless in the same place, but increased in size. Near the reef, the waves rippled very gently. Gilead had done well to build his breakwater. A tempest was approaching. The abyss had decided to give battle. End of chapter 11 A word to the wise is sufficient.